Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 168 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Sunday, December 8th, 2019. My name is Josh, and I have the itis, meaning that I ate so much that I am tired. I'd like nothing more than to take a nap, but the show must go on, so here I am, and I'm here with my my co-adventurer in life, Mike. How's it going, Mike? I'm doing I'm pretty good, doing... Uh... Doing all right. What, what um, kind of typing are you doing in the background there, Mike? Are you looking at porn on the podcast again? <laughs> no, I'm arguing with fucking stubborn Cowboys fans on a blog. Oh, my God. It's about sports. Yeah. Is there a more pointless <laughs> thing to argue about than sports, Mike? Well, I know some people might argue us, you know, debating about mysterious uh, unsolved cases that, you know, is kind of pointless, but. That's not pointless. That involves people's like lives and like <laughs> tragedy and shit. Like sports is just like none of it. It literally doesn't no, matter. No, but I agree. I agree. It is. It is ultimately pointless. But it is something that I'm still passionate about, regardless. I mean, there's a lot of things that people are passionate about that are, you know, ultimately pointless or kind of dumb. What does it mean in football when they say something like he threw a pick six or something like that? Was that? It, it, it's an interception that's returned for a touchdown. So the defender intercepts the football, which is another word for saying he catches the football. So instead of the wide receiver, which is the offensive player who catches the ball or is supposed to catch the ball that is thrown from the quarterback, the defender catches that ball instead and then runs into the end zone. That's a pick six. Oh, why don't they... uh, And it's called a pick six because... Each touchdown is worth six points. Now, there's an extra point afterwards that can make it seven, but that's not always a guarantee because your kicker could miss the extra point. So you're always guaranteed to get six points if you get in that end zone. Gotcha. Wow, Mike. All this talk about sports is making you sound more alpha by the second. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting rock hard right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's disgusting. We already got some more one star so, reviews from that. Well, that's cool. I mean, I gotta, I gotta at least uh, take my mind off of some things. Some sports does that, but you know, when your team's struggling and not doing as well, that tends to kind of, because you put so much of an emotional attachment to it, and so it can, you know, it could definitely be depressing. And I, and but I, I have a little bit more of a balanced mindset than some fans. Some fans. Things don't go their way. Everything sucks. Everyone needs to be fired. We are the worst team in the league. And it's like, you're below, you're one game below 500. You're still in the, in, in the running for a playoff berth. 
Like, get some fucking perspective. Like, I'm sick and tired of these Fairweather fans. It's it's embarrassing. Um, yeah, I don't even know how our our NFL team is doing. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville, they're just they're getting blown out by the Chargers today. That that's that's what's that's. <laughs> oh, we didn't we didn't win that one. No, no, no. Oh. The Jacksonville Jaguars have been doing pretty bad this year. Spent fifty million dollars on Nick Foles, and he got hurt. And then came back and sucked. So yeah, it's not really. Yeah, I remember everyone, everyone's good. like, "Bring Minshew back or whatever." Gardner, Gardner, Minshew. Yeah, they did. Because mustache man. Yeah. <laughs> did they bring him back because Nick Foles was doing that bad? Yeah. Oh wow, that's that's got to make him feel shitty. I can't yeah. believe I'm having more than a two they more than a two minute conversation about sports right now. My I'm, <laughs> my mind is fucking blown that you're able to pull that little bit out of me. Uh, that's what a good co-host does. Um, I have been busting my ass at work the past couple days. Uh, if you ask me, every day is Black Friday at Michael's right now. <laughs> hey, you know what? That says job security right there, man. Yeah. Um, I've been also covering a lot of shifts from our managers, so they've been really appreciative of that. Also, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't have anything better to do. I might as well get paid. Right, you know, <laughs> have you have you gotten employee of the month yet? No, there's no employee of the there's no employee of the month thing. That's not a thing at, at my at my job. Well, that's lame. You deserve employee of the month. But you- but I've had a lot of congratulations and a lot of you know, uh, kind words said about me by my my manager. So I mean, that, you so. sound reliable. You sound like someone that they can call at the drop of a hat and you'll come in. Yeah, it just depends on how I'm feeling or, you know, how much time I got or, you know, there are days where I'm like, I got stuff I need to do, so I'm sorry. But that doesn't happen that often. Are there any cute girls that work up there with you? There's some, but I think some of them are definitely underage, so I don't even want to go there. You can't, you can't, you don't don't even feel safe commenting on it? Yeah, it's probably probably best if you're not. (laughs) Are there any cute guys there? I'm not really into that, but okay. Uh, <laughs> that was a test. That was a test to see what you just say. I don't. I don't know if you fa- passed or failed. Honestly, I I kind of developed the test uh, spur of the moment with no real uh, rubric on <laughs> failing or passing. No, but I I definitely feel like Clark Clark Griswold from uh, Christmas Vacation after the past couple of days. <clears throat> you know when he when he got his bonus and he's all like Hallelujah, holy shit, <laughs> where's the Tylenol? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what you had a bonus? No, it's 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 his whole reaction to everything. Oh, because it's just been so fucking insane. And then you got people being upset at you because they didn't. So I'm on the register, and I'm dealing with this crazy line, and I'm do and then this guy comes up on the other side of the register, not in line. He's on the other side. You know, we have all these baskets and stuff up front with various stuff. And so it gets my attention. He's wondering, like, do we have any, do you have any of these wreath frames? And I'm like, uh, I don't know for sure. Like, if we had them, they'd be on the floor. Well, um, I had someone tell me that you had them and you don't have them. Well, um, did you check outside? Did you check out the far wall down there? Oh, I did. I did. And you don't have them. And okay, so who told you that you? It was an employee of yours. Somebody earlier today told me that you had them and you had plenty of them. And the guy was really <laughs> pissed off. 
in the back of my head, I'm like, dude, if you wanted them so much, then why didn't you put them on hold? So you so, call the store, you ask them to put them on hold for you. That way, when you come to the store later, after noon, when the store opens at nine, that they would be there. You would have them. You would be able to get them because, you know, there's something uh, called other people who come to the store. There's a potential that somebody came in and bought most of the remaining stock. So you do carry wreath frames. You just were out of stock. Yes. What the fuck is a wreath frame, first of all? Well, it's one of those things where it's like a metal... uh, it's a metal circle, like so you can make your own wreath. That that's what it is. Oh my god! The 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 insignificance <laughs> of of a wreath frame and someone getting even mildly upset over there not being one there is is just maddening to me. It reminds yeah. me of all the awfulness of human nature when working in retail. Like, at CVS, when I would work there, <clears throat> they had this stupid extra care card, the CVS uh-huh. extra care card. And, you know, CVS price gouges like every other pharmacy does. If you go to CVS, you buy, say, like, a pair of scissors. It's going to be, like, 10 bucks there compared to, like... Oh, we do some, we do some price gouging, too. i got to be honest. Yeah. But, you know, that's, it's, that's it's just the nature, it nature of the beast. You go to CVS primarily for, for medication for the pharmacy, but while you're there, they figure, well, if we can basically stock this like a mini Walmart, then we can sell, you know, X amount more, uh, more dollars or, or product or whatever. So you get a pair of scissors at CVS, they're 10 bucks at Walmart, they're $3. But w- so what CVS does to combat that is they have that stupid extra care card. So, you know, oh, well, it bought, this I hate this deal the most. I hate any deal where it's buy, it's like buy one or buy two, get the third one half off or some bullshit. Basically, it's their way of squeezing that much more out of your wallet. Because it's like, oh, I need one of these, but if I buy a second one, I'll get the third one for half. It's like, oh, I hate all that shit, you know? It's like, just give me the first one for half off or, I don't know, something like that. But there'd also be these things that CVS would do. It'd be like, if you buy uh, $20 worth of Maybelline cosmetics, you get a free makeup bag, like a... Just a ch- uh-huh. just one of those cheap like translucent plastic you know ha- like almost like the like smaller than like a lunchbox just like a tiny it's you know something that would literally probably cost like five bucks in a store but you would get it for free if you bought like twenty dollars of Maybelline Cosmex it was stupid little shit yeah. like that that we ha- that we would run out of super fast. Because for whatever reason, people love that kind of shit. Like, oh, get a free tote bag whenever you buy, yeah. you know, $30 worth or whatever the hell. We, we, yeah, we've had some stuff like that, too. But it's like a free Santa or yeah, you know, a yeah. free bag or whatever. But we I've never really had anyone get really that upset at me for not getting one. Because they understand, well, you know, there's only limited quantity. And once it's out, it's out. 
Oh man, I, the the length that people would go to uh, about getting a about what they would get upset about, like that we wouldn't have or that whatever the case was, uh, it was it was limitless. I mean, it could be from like something what I just said, or it could be something like. Uh, you know, someone forgot to pull a tag, which that is that is annoying when when you have a sales tag and you pull the tags. At t- well, here's the thing: normally, what we do is we honor it regardless. That's just how it is. That's, like, that's what you're supposed bad. to we do. We made a mistake. I I went to another CVS the other day, and I, I ha- when I still had like the flu or whatever, and I got a bottle of medicine, and the tag said six ninety nine, and it was ringing up nine ninety nine. So I actually went back and grabbed the tag because I, I read the date and saw it was old and it needed to be pulled anyway. And I like handed the cashier the tag and I was like, yeah, your tag, the tag was out of date. And he's like, oh, OK. So, uh, yeah, that's nine ninety nine. And I didn't even feel like arguing about it. I'm like, OK, we'll just void that. I'm going to get a cheaper one. So I just like yeah. got the. Yeah, OK. Ran. But we, we don't do that with that. You know, we, we that's not. That's not how we. That's roll. the right like, thing to do. We, I mean, is to if honor we it. left a sign there, you know, that's our fault, and you know, we we try to make the customer as happy as we can. I mean, some people though, it's just, you know, they're not going to be happy no matter what. Sometimes don't people don't what know what they're how looking to, for. Yeah, then they're pissed off, and it's your fault. And I even had like, even if you tell people what procedure is, like we dealt with this one lady, she's actually threatening to go to corporate. And talk about how we're being racist oh, and racial God. discrimination because we were trying to get her to follow a store procedure when it comes to buying a display item. So we have these trees that are really popular around this this time of year, and we only had one of this particular tree left, and it was a display item. It's procedure for us to only allow a guest to buy the tree and then pick it up the next day. She wants to pay for the tree the next day and then pick it up. That's not allowed by corporate or by procedure, but she's all pissed off and is, is going to be threatening to go to corporate and say it's a case of racial discrimination. What does that, what does any of that have to do with her race? I know. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. See, I, I can't, I just, I can't do that shit, man. Like, I'm so glad I'm not in retail anymore. I never, the, the, see, here's the thing though. I just look at it from, from my perspective and I just put things into perspective, period. I have some people who are, are mean or nasty or just being, you know, dicks or straight up bitches, but that's not the majority. You know, I, 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 I personally feel it's a great work environment. I get along with a lot of my coworkers and my managers and for the most part, most of the people coming to the store are, are friendly and, you know, are fine. So it, it's just that rare, you know, two or three people. There are days where I don't even have any bad customers. But I think it's all about perspective. I think there's a lot of people who just, they work a retail job, deal with like two difficult customers out of like 200 in a day. And they're all like, oh, this job sucks. <laughs> And it's like, maybe it's just those people suck. Maybe the job doesn't suck. Maybe those people suck. Oh, I was the one who who did not like my work environment. But But then there's the work environment. And if the work environment is a problem, then I totally get that. Like, if you're just getting abused and used by your managers or people like that, or certain employees are getting kickbacks or special treatment, 
because they know somebody, even though they suck at their job, you know, and you're getting all kinds of shit, despite the fact that you're actually doing a better job than they are, but because they know the manager, you know, that kind of stuff, like the, the stuff that's out of your control, um, that I totally understand why you'd be like, my job sucks. But, you know, there are people out there that they just blow things up a little bit too much and maybe kind of just step back and look at it and be like, like, how many bad customers do I really deal with during a day? And if it's not even that large of a percentage, then maybe it's not really the job that's the problem. Yeah, well, this is the retail cast, everybody, where we talk about retail and retail-related <laughs> stories. Um, <clears throat> no, well, I don't. Th- we haven't said anything about that in a while, so. But I thought some people might find it fun to hear some of the some of the stories of dealing with. All right, but anyway, this is a uh, podcast about uncovering unexplained mysteries, and usually we talk about the show Unsolved Mysteries. We have, and we are actually talking about the show, yeah. but this time not segments. These are. This is a missing persons roll call. Roll call from episode thirty-three that aired on the October twenty-first, twenty-fifth uh, episode in nineteen eighty-nine, and so this is the roll call from that. That's at the end of the episode. Those aren't really included in the Amazon uh, episodes, so these are only from the original broadcast. I decided to do this because, well, Chris Rogers, who's a great friend of ours and great guy in general, um, he mentioned this, and I thought, oh, that might be interesting. And I thought it would be a fun way to talk about like a bunch of different cases that are kind of buried, that are somewhat Unsolved Mysteries related, because there's a lot of these roll calls in some of the earlier seasons. And some of the cases are pretty decent. Some are, are, you know, better than others, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to take turns. We're going to go back and forth, uh, and we're just going to talk about these these cases. We're going to take turns, and we're going to go back and forth. Yeah, that's hot. (laughs) We're going to be sharing. So I'm going to start with uh, Julie Welfin. Uh, These are all missing persons cases. It's the missing person roll call. They've had other roll calls. Uh, Should we have robbery. like a school bell ringing sound in the background for the roll call? <laughs> or, or like you a can put it in there if you want. Put a clip of uh, <laughs> Ben Stein doing Bueller. <laughs> so, twenty-eight-year-old Julie Welfin was one of the new female operators for the Bonneville Power Administration in Spokane, Washington. On September 16, 1987, there was a report that the nitrogen was low in one of the transformers at the Spring Hill substation. At around 2 p.m., Julie went to the substation. She signed in there at 2.30 p.m. and is believed to have completed her work around 3.30 p.m. She was never seen again. Her personal items were found next to her truck shortly afterwards. The truck driver's side door was open, and there were apparent drag marks at the scene. A fresh tire pattern not belonging to her vehicle was also found at the scene. Police believe that she was abducted by two men and later murdered, although she has never been found. There is an $80,000 reward for information in her case. Now, uh, evidence at the scene indicated that at least two people were involved in her abduction. Uh, Julie's husband, Mike, was initially considered a suspect until it was confirmed that he was painting a house 50 miles away at the time of the abduction. Unless he can run really fast, there's definitely no way that he could have 
been involved, or at least no way that he could have done it himself. Because, you know, there are instances where people end up, like, hiring people to do shit. Yep, all the time, on on this show at least. He has been actively involved in the search for her. Her ex-husband was also investigated and ruled out. One person of interest in the case, a man who lived close to the substation where Julie vanished. He allegedly refused to cooperate in the investigation. That's a red flag. It's kind of like uh, Mike Morris, right? Talking about, you know... Yeah, well, Mike Morris was... Uh, I'm going to take a lie detector test. He, he was like gonna... a specially... Uh, he, was a, he was a special affront to my eyes, uh, but... I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. The phone kept ringing. I just let it ring. And I thought that someone would eventually, if there was a possibility that someone would answer, I'd, I'd just let it ring. Good old Mike Moonpie Morris. Yep. He's a meme at this point on, on, this, uh, on this podcast. <laughs> he really is, yeah. <laughs> so, interestingly, the man also knew Deborah Jean Swanson, a core DNA. D. Aline Idaho. It's a fucking French name that I can't even pronounce. Why is there a French town in Idaho? Like, I don't. Or, or school. Coeur d'Aline? Yeah. Idaho I, I, school teacher. I, I, don't, I don't even know how you'd pronounce that. It's C O E U R and then the D apostrophe. I know that the, the, the D apostrophe means of. I know that yeah. much. Cirque du Soleil. Wait, no, that's not a... Right. Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> no, that's not right, because they don't have that. Uh, D... Whatever, it means of. Oh, fuck yeah. you. I don't know French. German's my language. <laughs> Idaho uh, school teacher who vanished in 1986. It is believed that the man sent Mike a threatening letter a few months after Julie's disappearance. However, investigators later implied that the man was not a suspect in the case. The case was featured as a part of a missing person special alert in the episode I mentioned. It was also featured on the show's West 57th, which I don't even know anything about. Nope. And Good Morning America. Which I still don't know anything about. In 2004, true crime author Anne Rule included a chapter about her abduction in the book Kiss Me, Kill Me. I wonder if she was a fan of U2. Well, she she didn't want to be killed or thrilled, so I'm going to say no. No. Yeah, exactly. Uh, police now consider Julie's case a homicide. However, there's never been, she has never been found, and there are still no suspects in the case. Police have ruled out serial killers Robert Lee Yates and Gary Ridgway, also known as the Green River Killer. An amateur investigator has also suggested that her abduction may be related to other unsolved disappearances and murders of young women in the area around the same time, including Deborah Swanson and Sally Stone. Sadly, Julie's mother passed away in 2006 without ever seeing her case solved. Her family and friends, including several co-workers, are still searching for answers. As of March 15, 2012, the BPA is offering an additional $25,000 reward for information. Why are they, why are they quoting uh, or, or, or noting what an amateur investigator has suggested? Like who? I don't know. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, I know. I'm an amateur <laughs> investigator. That's like if I said something about a case, someone heard it and then like wrote it into this Wikia page or whatever. It's like some random douchebag said. You know, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. So, ne- up next is Stephanie Stroh. Stroh. Stroh wird gold. 
und Goldfelstein. Stephanie Stroh, a student at Reed College in Portland, sorry, I'll ditch the accent, was hitchhiking throughout the United States after spending time in Asia. She and friend had, she and friend, not and a friend, <laughs> but just she and friend. That's what, that's how they wrote it. That's how I'm reading it. She and friend had started in New York and were on their way back to California when they decided to split up in Salt Lake City. She was last seen by a desk clerk at a motel in Winnemucca, 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 Nevada. I think it's Winnemucca. Winnemucca, Nevada. Winnemucca, Nevada. That sounds like somewhere in Idaho, right? Doesn't that sound like somewhere in Idaho, like or Canada? Like it doesn't sound like somewhere. Uh, aren't, aren't white people great? We go to a we go to another country, kill all the people, and then name all of our cities after their their tribes or their customs. That's not. Although I don't I don't know if there's a tribe named Weed, but you know, <laughs> there's Weed, Oregon. Well, you, you got like you got states and cities that are named after. I almost like, thought you were gonna be like you got C U N T. I don't understand what you're talking about, and I really don't you know. C- I don't know what C-U-N-T's. you're smoking either, Mike. But you should lay off of it, whatever it is. <laughs> you said that before on this podcast. What cunt? Yeah. No, are you afraid <laughs> to say it? Are you gonna get in trouble? Nah, I'll just I'll just leave that to you. Oh, okay. Well, I am the purveyor of cunts, I guess. Um, no, it's like in the United States, you have things that are either named after kings in England uh, yeah. or Native American terms. It's like those are like the only two things. It's like you got. Well, there's also like uh, cities and streets. You and have stuff New Hampshire, and then you have, you know, almost every. You got Winnemucca. You know, it's like it's it's really weird how that how that is. You know, it's like. Oh, I do feel bad for killing all those Native American gentlemen and gentlewomen. Let's say we name our our states and our cities after the slaughtered tribes. Wouldn't that be a great way of making up for everything? And, oh, here's some casinos, old boy. Have fun. Sorry. My bad. White people. It's not just the British, though. I mean, uh, we also, like Americans, the Trail of Tears, you know, that that always stuck with me because it was so avoidable. Like, Americans, they found that the Native Americans had gold on their land. And so, as, as sadly as a lot of Americans still do to this day, and a lot of people across this uh, great earth, uh, which is not so great at times, uh, what are you like a fucking presidential candidate right now saying things like this great earth <laughs> what, what, what the hell what, what was that this uh this fine country that we live in that uh let's just get a let's get a round of applause for all the hard-working americans in this room tonight <laughs> god i hate it when pre- when presidential candidates start pandering and all these dumbasses just take the bait. I, I really wasn't trying to pander. You're pandering to the globe, Mike. You said this great planet. You're trying I to... I said it's not so great at times, too. Do you think a politician would ever say yes. that? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a really loud rice burner driving down the road. <laughs> Crotch rocket, whatever you want to call it. That's probably a racist the term ADHD nowadays. ADHD podcast. Oh, yeah, I know, dude. This is the most ADHD. Po- <laughs> I hope, it, man, if you guys make it through this one, you should get some kind of a hat or something. 
saying I survived episode 168 of the Uncovering <laughs> Explained Mysteries podcast. Um, going back to what I was trying to say, if I can even uh, get back to the, the point I was trying to say, which I might have lost it. You know, might have drove off along with uh, whatever with your th- car with you your, were talking with about. With your, your sense, with your common sense. <laughs> no, I was just talking... Oh, okay, now I remember. It, it's a lot of people in America and across the world, they have dollar signs in their eyes. They're really obsessed with money and power and wealth. And uh, Americans in that time were in the same boat. But what makes it so much more tragic is that Native Americans... There were there were tribes and there were Native Americans that were actually living peacefully with Americans at that time. They were not really having any issues with them. And there were a lot of instances where they agreed to share their wealth with us. And we were just like, no, fuck you. Get out of here. This is our land now. Yeah. We're taking all the gold. Well, white people don't take very kindly to sharing. It's like, eh. We'd rather uh, have this. The Native Americans are like, "Well, I don't know what like have means. You can use it. No, we we need this to. We need to own this. Uh, here's some blankets. Have fun. You know. Well, I mean, it's not just. Uh, what, uh, yeah, I mean, it. I don't know if you could constitute where were the Spaniards were they white or were they or they something else. Like I'm I've often wondered of- that. I I know. If you're obviously, if you're not from Spain, you still speak Spanish, but you're not white per se. You're of Hispanic origin. But Spain is like right in the the birth canal of where white people originate. So I'm thinking to myself, Germans are white, French are white. Spain's like right there. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I think there is a case to be made that some of them are. I mean, because I think a lot of the, there were a lot of the conquistadors or people who came over. Well, wasn't Columbus and, Spanish? Know, gave, gave people, uh, gave the natives smallpox infested blankets. Guys, if you haven't realized at this point that you do not come to this podcast for, to learn anything, that that <laughs> point is none so so obvious then in this podcast uh please god don't go and leave us more one-star reviews saying we're dumb because at that point it's really it's it's well, a given I mean, we know that I, we know we're not geniuses we know we're not you know the most intelligent mike i mean people genius out there hell we're we're barely on on functioning <laughs> like i i think we're a little bit better than that but but i i see what you mean uh Listeners pointing out that it's acetone in, in nail polish remover, not not alcohol. Oh, alcohol it's yeah. flammable. <laughs> well, and thanks for pointing that out because our dumbasses would not have known that. I mean, unless... I felt like I knew it, but it's just kind of one of those things. Like in com- okay, it's like you know when you're just having a casual conversation with someone and you're like, oh, what's the name of that? And then you're like, maybe you'll throw out a name, and I'll be like, yeah, that sounds right. And we just kind of go with it. Yeah, and then we we, we turn out to be wrong. Well, for most people, that's that that's something that's kind of embarrassing in front of just the two people who had the conversation. But when you do a podcast, you see, and more than two people listen to it, your blunders and your ignorant things that you say are there for thousands of people to listen to. And um, I think everybody knows at this point that uh, this is this is certainly not something you go to to learn anything. 
Um, or if you quote anything we say as far as uh, some kind of fact when educating someone else, good luck. You're on your own with that. Well, I mean, some of it is true. I mean, like I've been saying, like that there really was. Uh, it's it actually did happen. The whole stuff with the gold and, and the trail of tears and how there were Native Americans that legitimately wanted to share. And then there was also the stuff with the conquistadors and natives and smallpox and blankets. Like that's that's that those are actual facts. You realize so you, you realize we got here because someone decided to name a, a city in Nevada Winnemucca. That's literally. <laughs> but hey, hey, that's that's the ADHD podcast, and that's kind of how we. That's kind of how we roll anyway. You know, it, it, it's one of the things that does separate us from other podcasts. Is yeah, we get off topic. But we try to tie it in somehow. But also the tangents that we go on to, we try to make them somewhat interesting. Maybe cause a little bit of a debate. This is what happened um, with this podcast. I didn't think it was that grave an idea. Mike wanted to go along with it. And this is me, uh, or us, I, I will say, making <laughs> making something out of what what was very little. And for that, yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of impressed how much we've been able to pull out of things like Winnemucca, Nevada. Yeah. What is a mucka? And if it's a thing, <laughs> you should be able to win it. And that way, they could, that could be their shtick for that city. Uh, come and uh, win a mucka. Win a mucka, Nevada. Why Why am I doing it with an why Italian? Italian? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am part yeah. Italian, but anyway. Why all of a sudden does everybody win a mucka, Nevada sound like they're Mario? <laughs> should, I, should I even get back to this story at this point? Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you should. Okay. Because I mean, like, people are like, okay, is this about Winnemucca, Nevada, or is this about Winnemucca, Nevada? That almost sounds like something that uh, Watto from, like, Star Wars Episode (laughs) 1 would say. Yeah, Winnemucca, Winnemucca, Winnemucca. Winnemucca, there you go. Anyway, uh, okay, so we're going to have to recap on this. Stephanie Stroh, a student at Reed College in Portland, was hitchhiking throughout the United States after spending time in Asia. She and her friend had started in New York, and they were on their way back to California when they decided to split up in Salt Lake City. She was last seen by a desk clerk at a motel in Winnemucca, Nevada, on October 15, 1987. She tried to get a room, but the place was full. Later that day, she called her parents from a truck stop in Wells, Nevada. See, Wells, Nevada. I can pronounce it. I understand it. It's it's easy on my brain. Why can't everything be some version of Wells, Nevada? At the time, her parents lived in San Francisco. She told them she was coming home the next day, but never arrived. She has not been seen since. Um, The results of this case are the case is unresolved. In 1998, police stated that there was a possible break in Stephanie's case. However, it is unknown what the break was or if anything actually came from it. Tom, What? Yeah. (laughs) What a tease. Well, I mean, I feel like police get tips all the time. Yeah. Like, for every case, every homicide case that's unsolved, I feel like police get, like, hundreds of tips, and maybe one or two are actually... Because, you know, there's there's those, like, well-meaning people out there, and I'm going to go go out on a limb and assume most of them are elderly. Just those well-meaning people who literally have nothing better to do with their lives, so they might hear about a homicide case on TV... And then they're outside gardening, and they see some guy, you know, walking around a neighborhood. Who sort of looks like... He's, maybe he's got on, like, a black hoodie and black jeans or something. He has a hood put over his head, so they run inside and call the cops, and that's, oh, that's or they tip. see an, Or they see someone on the street that sort of looks like the sketch. 
yeah, so they call police and and and, and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. as police, what are you supposed to do with that? You know, what can you do with that? You can't I mean, you you, you can't do anything, you know. It's just like, okay, but I bet they have to like write some kind of paperwork out for each one of those fucks yeah. as ridiculous as a tip might be. Mm-hmm. God. That would suck. Anyway, um, Tommy Lynn sells a confessed serial killer who was arrested for a 1999 murder, later confessed to Stephanie's murder. And they have a photo of this guy. And <laughs> it reminds me of Billy Mays or the, the um, not the Unabomber, but it's just one of those things. He looks that just, like just Billy had- Mays' younger brother. He looks like the, he also looks like that robber guy. Remember that who looked like Kenny Loggins and that we talked about. Yeah, he he's reminds got, me of he's that got guy a little, too. I think it's just literally there was something in the water that allowed people in the eighties and nineties to grow a more fuller beard. I feel like, like the beards that I see. Well, I mean, you look at the photo of this guy, like his beard and his hair, they all look like they're the same material. Yeah, I know uh, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the beard like you know cuz beard beards are usually like like pubic hair in consistency. This guy just looks like his hair continues from his head down onto his face. Like it's not there's no differentiation. He's actually not a bad-looking guy, honestly. No, there's no hair though. It's just it's just more beard. Yeah, he's just all beard. He's a very <laughs> I mean this guy's passing his hair DNA on to whatever offspring he has. That's a very dominant trait <laughs> in this guy. Uh, so anyway, he's also a serial killer, so fuck him in, in the same Yeah, breath. exactly. Although he did kill a Stephanie, and I don't really... Hey. Oh. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Oh. <laughs> There's no more killings of Stephanie's. That's like an isolated case, and it won't happen again. Okay. Well, I seem to have forgotten that my band counterpart was in the room there when I said that. Um, killing Stephanie's, I guess, is bad. Well, this is a Stephanie with an F, not a PH. Oh, fuck that. Oh, okay. Well, that was uh, PH Stephanie's words, not mine. Uh, anyway, in 1987, he was working for a roofing company in Winnemucca, uh, near where he was, where she was last seen, she claimed he claimed that he picked Stephanie up while she was hitchhiking and told her that he would take her to Reno, Nevada. He also claimed that they took LSD together, whereupon he strangled her, put her body in concrete, and dumped it in a hot spring described uh, as being thirty feet wide. Damn! Like the the extreme lengths. That's like some. Uh, that's like some like uh, old Acme cartoon shit with like like, uh, like I don't know. Um, who? who like, yeah, like Wiley Coyote, like yeah. or some shit, or like uh, you know those old cartoons like Bugs Bunny, like putting someone in a crate and then throwing the crate in a sack and then throwing that sack down in the bottom of the ocean and then. You know, Bugs Bunny tries to get away, and then magically that person is already inside Bugs. Yeah, it's house. just like the it's just like the uh, instance where the one case we talked about where they threw a Civil War cannon in the, in oh, the yeah. swamp. Yeah, they tied the person to the they tied the, the body to a Civil War cannon. Which and just again, threw it in again the swamp. I love how they just have <laughs> that you know that all the that weapon tree of antiquity. But I mean, it is crazy that he goes to this extreme. Like, it's not just okay. He strangles her. He also puts her body in concrete. 
But also before that, they took LSD. So he made sure to, like, I guess, try to give them a good time. Is that his whole demented view of things? It's like, oh, I'm going to get you high, and then I'm going to strangle you. Then I'm going to put your body in concrete, and I'm going to dump it in a hot spring. (laughs) Yeah, LSD, not even once. Say no to drugs, kids. Um, Despite extensive searches for the hot spring, it was never found. He also confessed to the murders of... uh, Loria Bible and Ashley Freeman, the two missing. Did gr- we talk about that case? If not, we really need to. I I want to. I want to say we talked about it. It was the two missing girls vanished in 1999 after Ashley's parents were murdered. That was the case that was. It was called Trailer Terror. It was the two girls who yeah. spent the night at. Uh, I want to say Ash or Ashley spent the night at Laura's house or vice versa and. The the trailer was found burned to the ground with uh, Ashley's parents murdered inside the burned trailer, and the girls were missing. And um, then it, I think there was an update on that that they were actually murdered. Uh, but they the police have never charged Tommy Lynn Sells in either of those cases, and believe that the confessions were untrue. Sells was serving time for two unrelated murders and was eventually executed by lethal injection in April 2014. Okay, well, I guess we don't got to worry about him anymore. Uh, Stephanie, however, remains missing. In- interestingly, in 2010, investigators noted that they were looking into the possibility that Dale Wayne Eaton was responsible for Stephanie's disappearance. Eaton is a suspected serial killer convicted of murdering Lisa Marie Kimmel and suspected in several other... This is like the whole Unsolved Mysteries murder network up in here. Yeah. All these cases are like interconnected. So, I'm glad that Son of a Bitch is dead. Um, My favorite part of the holidays is reconnecting with family. I love swapping stories and reliving moments together, but keeping these memories alive can be hard. That's why I'm giving my family the most meaningful gift this year, StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones tell the story of their lives through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. StoryWorth emails your family members different story prompts, questions you never thought to ask, like what have been some of your life's greatest surprises and what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done. After one year, StoryWorth will compile every answered question and photo you choose to include into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. You never know what family history StoryWorth will uncover. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to do with my grandmother before she passed, where I wanted to sit down with her because she grew up during World War II. Well, she was alive during World War II. So she remembers, like, the rationing of butter and... You know, all that other kind of stuff. And she grew up during the civil rights era and all that jazz. So I wanted to sit down with her and record her on on tape, you know, like what her thoughts and memories were because she was alive to see all that stuff. That's crazy. But of course, being the lazy person I am, I I didn't get around to it. Just taking for granted the fact that she was always going to be around. And then she died and I'll never be able to get those you know stories from her and then i was like i'm gonna do this with my parents before they die 
because, you know, my dad lived through, like, Vietnam and, you know, the 80s and all this other kind of stuff. So, you know, that's cool. And then my dad dies. So, this sounds like something that could be worth it, folks. Story worth. Um, you can preserve and pass on memories with Story Worth, the most meaningful gift for your family. You can sign up today by going to storyworth.com slash U-U-M. You'll get $20 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash U-U-M, as in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And the, the, these, uh, these cases are like sliders from Crystal or White Castle. We, we just finished two, now let's stuff a third one in there. Yeah, exactly. So um, slide another one the right next up my case ass. Is, uh... <laughs> that was un- that was unnecessary. Why did I have to say that? I take it back. The next case is Kyle Clink Scales. Sounds like a made up name. It really. I, I I don't even see where you got that article from. It's from the same thing. I I sent it. I sent you a link later because uh, I I I thought I would skip it, but oh, then I, I looked see. at it a little I, bit more I and I thought old... it was worth talking about. So Kyle Wade. Clink scales. Kinky clinky. So on the night of January 27th, 1976, 22-year-old Kyle Clink scales left the Moose Club, a bar that he worked at in his hometown of LaGrange, Georgia. The Moose Club. He planned to make the 35-mile drive to Auburn University. However, he never arrived. Neither he, he nor his car have ever been found. His car was a white two-door 1974 Pinto runabout with the Georgia license plate number CEF717 and the VIN number 4T11Y207954. Why that was even necessary to be in this uh, wiki, I have no idea. Like, I guess maybe because you see the car somewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe. if you see it, call, <laughs> call someone. At first, Kyle's family believed that he left on his own accord. He was not doing well at college and had previously dropped out of another school. However, as time passed, they did not hear from him, and they began to suspect that he met with foul play. In 1981, a man calling himself Danny Moore came forward, believing that he was Kyle. He claimed to have had amnesia after getting into a car accident in 1976. When he wrote a letter to Kyle's parents, they believed it matched his handwriting. However, dental records determined that he was not Kyle. God, what a what a piece of work, really. Somebody to like just say, oh, I'm your son, but like you're not... Yes. In 1987... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Go on! Uh, in 1987, Kyle X, Kyle's Exxon credit card was found in the Flat Shoal Creek area, but no, no new evidence came up from the discovery, and he remains missing. I wonder if anyone has Exxon credit cards anymore. Is that even a thing? Especially after the spill... The oil spill that was all over the news. Oh, Exxons are definitely still around. No, they're still around, but an Exxon credit card? Uh, the, it always kind of surprises me, the things that catch your attention, Mike. I know, but you, it you're, is something you're, that caught my attention. You're a curious because I, mind. I haven't, I haven't seen any Exxon credit cards <laughs> before, so... So this case first aired as a part of a missing person special that we talked about. Kyle's father wrote a book about his disappearance titled Kyle's Story, Friday Never Came. In 2005, a 35-year-old man contacted Kyle's parents with vital information about the case. He told them that when he was seven, he witnessed the disposal of Kyle's body. 
He claimed that Kyle's killer was a man named Ray Hyde, who died in 2001. He said that Kyle's body had been covered in co- with concrete, stuffed in a barrel, and dumped in a private pond. What are the chances of, of the connection being bodies put in into barrels and filled with concrete? Well, you know, honestly, if I was to kill somebody, um, I would probably put their body in, in, in at the bottom of... Uh you know, a body of water myself. But I mean, stuff it in a barrel and then fill it with concrete too? Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, that would ensure that it would sink. It would make it very hard to recover because it's heavy. Um, Nothing is probably going to end up floating to the surface accidentally. Um, My parents had a very large pond in their backyard, and I always used to think, like, if I killed someone and put them in my... (laughs) Why <laughs> Stephanie's giving you always used Stephanie's to giving me a look right now of concern. <laughs> she has concerns. Um, but but I thought you know how long would it take the police to find you know the body if I. But another thing too, like if they did find out that I murdered someone and they knew I lived at that house and they saw a big ass pond in the back, where do you think the first place they're gonna look for a body would be? You know what I mean. So, the pond. I mean, just like when they looked for that knife uh, in the in uh, Paradise Lost, they went to the pond where, where the knife was uh, apparently planted. Yes. Yeah. So uh, he also claimed that his grandfather had helped dispose of the barrel and that Hyde had threatened them both. The tipster's information soon led to the arrest of Jimmy Earl Jones and Jeanne Pollock Johnson. Jones was charged with concealing a death hindering a criminal's arrest, and two counts of making false statements. Johnson was also charged with concealing a death, false statements, and obstructing justice. Witnesses placed her at Hyde's home that night, but she denied being there. Investigators learned that Hyde was a member of the Moose Club, where Kyle worked. They believe they met through it. They also believe that Kyle was killed because of his knowledge of Hyde's criminal activities. Jones later told the police that on the night Kyle had vanished, he arrived at Hyde's home and discovered Kyle's body. He had been shot to death. He then helped Hyde drag it into his shop. Before Hyde died, he told Jones that after placing it in the lake, he went back, recovered it, and took it to an unknown location. Sadly, neither it nor his car have ever been found. Jones was sentenced to nine years in prison for his involvement in Kyle's death. He has since been released. Sadly, Kyle's father, John, passed away in 2007, at the age of 82. But at least he died knowing what had happened to his son. And there was some justice that was served. So at least there's that. Yes, indeed, buddy boy. Up next, we have the case of Diana Braungott, which is a German last name, if I've ever seen one. It means brown something. Uh... (laughs) Uh, brown is brown in German. It's just spelled different. It's spelled B R A U N. But brown. Well, it's still it's still it's brown. It's still pronounced the same way. But anyway, eighteen-year-old uh, Diana Brown got vanished on March eleventh, nineteen eighty-seven, after she left the Venture Store in Twin Peak Mall. Ooh, near the Black Lodge. Uh, no, she uh, worked at the Twin Peak Mall. Uh, apparently. She told her co-workers that she needed to go home and study for a test. She was last seen at 10 p.m. walking to her car, but she never arrived home. Her car, a 1982 Ford Escort, was later found in the parking lot. 
but she was never located. Authorities believe she was abducted before she reached her car. There is a hundred thousand or ten thousand uh, dollar reward for information in this case. The suspects uh, are witnesses. Saw Di- sorry, I, that was a poorly read thing. Suspects. Witnesses saw Diana talking to an unidentified man in the store parking lot shortly before she vanished. He was described as Caucasian in his early 20s, about 5'10", with brown or black hair and a medium build. He was wearing a gold necklace. When Diana's co-workers saw the sketch, they recalled that the man was the last person in Diana's checkout line before she left. Just looks like a... A young white dude with a Farrah Fawcett, like a baby Farrah Fawcett no, haircut. No, he, he, he looks like every generic like douchebag jock in an 80s movie. That's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, kind of. But you can see like the early stages of Farrah Fawcett hair going on with the... Uh, the, the, the Well, this is long after. I mean, this is 1987. Well, yeah, but he still, got, he still looks like he's trying to rock like a baby version of the hairstyle. <laughs> So this case remains unsolved. Police have interviewed a person of interest in Diana's case. He has a local man who matched the descript, uh, yeah, description of the possible suspect. And he's currently in prison for an unrelated crime. He has not been ruled out. Interestingly, he has been identified as Jesse Rush, one of the killers of Trudy Darby. I don't know who that is, but she had... Was, she was featured on, on the show, apparently. Okay. Sadly, Diana has never been located. Her father passed away in 2012 and her mother in 2017. In her mother's obituary, she listed as having predeceased her. Her brother is still hoping for answers in the case. If she is alive, she would be 49 years old. Probably say she's not alive. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. She kind of looks like so, a, a young female Tim Curry. <laughs> oh my God. A gender swap from Tim Curry. You're right, actually. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, see, this is what people get mad. We just got another one-star review, so this is what people get mad at, us us, us making jokes and laugh. Don't you understand? These are real people. Like, yes, I understand it's a real person, but what? there's nothing we can do about it. Like, th- we're talking about cases that are, like, 30 and 40 years old. Calm the fuck down, you know? Like, like... Like, get a sense of humor. Laugh at the darkness. It's the only way you you can not go crazy. See the light. Yeah, yeah. if you want to be corny about it, see the light. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, fuck. If if we're all doom and gloom the whole podcast and, you know, being just super irreverent the whole time, where the fuck is the entertainment value in that, people? Uh, So the next case is of David Till and Brian Ognajan. And uh, this is one that actually has been featured on Cold Case Files. It's featured on a uh, series called Sins and Secrets from Investigation Discovery. And this is the one that Chris mentioned that originally uh, sparked the idea to do this. So, uh, on November 21st, 1985, childhood friends David Till and Brian Ognijan left their homes to go hunting near David's family cabin in White Cloud, Michigan. They planned to visit a friend in Mio, 150 miles east. On November 22nd, Brian cashed a $50 check in St. Clair Shores. However, they never arrived at the cabin or the friend's home and were never seen again. Their vehicle, a 1980 Black Ford Bronco, was also never found. 
Authorities do not believe that the men have ever made it to White Cloud. However, several witnesses placed the men in the Bronco and Mio, so they believe that something had happened to them there. This is one that I'm surprised didn't actually end up being like a full case on the show, because it seems like there was enough there to be a full case because it was documented on two different true crime shows. So in 2003, two brothers, Raymond J.R. and Donald Coco Duvall, were arrested for the murders of David Till and Brian Ognajan. Maybe it wasn't featured because there wasn't enough information at the time. And also, it was 2003, and I think the show wasn't on. If it was, it was the fucking reboot. But I don't think that it was on in 2003. I think I think the show stopped running in the, what, 2001 or something? Mm, or I- no, they were always... They were pretty much... You could pretty much always catch Unsolved Mysteries on TV in some form... Up in, I'm talking about like new episodes. Are you not the Farina, but just oh oh yeah, um, I just, yeah. oh shit yeah I want to say this I want to say the show ended in like 2002 or 2003. I think it's, yeah 2001 or 2002 because they were talking about 9/11 and yeah stuff I mean like it was that de- the, the show was definitely coming out with new episodes in 2001 because they yeah because they yeah. did cover 9/11. But I think by 2003, I think that might have been off the yeah, air. Yeah, I think it was 2003. That was the year Stack died, so. So, for years, the brothers have been considered suspects in the case. In 1990, the investigators learned from an informant that on that night, the, the hunters had vanished. They went to Linker's Lounge near Mio, Michigan. They drank heavily and got into a physical altercation with another group of people that included the Duval brothers. However, the police did not have enough evidence to tell a witness... Barbara Boudreau came forward. I mean, it's definitely from the, definitely, uh, from the South, that's for sure. Uh, she reported that she and a friend now deceased had been in a bar on the night of the disappearance. She had seen the hunters and the Duval brothers exchange words inside the bar. She said that she and her friend later witnessed the brothers beat David and Brian to death with an aluminum baseball bat in a field near her home. Why did you take you so fucking long to come forward? Like, I don't... Really? She said that she then placed their bodies in their Ford Bronco and drove away. She said she did not come forward until 2003 due to the fear of the brothers. Okay, but, like... You're not related to them, right? You're just, like, uh, friends with a friend who was at the bar? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, because in the, the south, police are there to protect you for a reason. I mean, Mike in the south, everybody knows that bitches snitches get stitches. So if you talk, then we're gonna beat your ass. More like bitches get ditches, <laughs> or that. However, you want to look at it, there, fella. Although it's in Michigan, I didn't know that was. <laughs> Considered the South, but I guess there are parts of Michigan that have Southern influences. Mike, the um, South is more of a state of mind than it is a physical location. I definitely buy that because you got considering... you got people with you got people with Southern accents in all parts of the United States. It's not just in the South, and I don't know how. No, the, yeah, I mean, I don't for know sure. how the fuck that happened, but whatever. Well, they probably, you know, they might have moved. You know, they moved from the south, somewhere in the south to Michigan or something, or vice versa. Uh, several several other witnesses reported that the Duvals bragged about killing David and Brian, cutting them up, and then feeding their remains to their pigs. Well, then. 
That's another way you could get rid of a body, I guess. Yeah, apparently. Well, you could, These witnesses... Go ahead. I was gonna say, or you could use the Breaking Bad method where you just throw them in a vat of, uh, what was it, like, like, like... Acid? Yeah, it was like, like it's acid. Or you get rid of, like, uh, or, or how that one guy died in the smelter or something. I don't remember that. Remember the guy, that one of the famous cases we talked oh, about? David, like the guy oh, David would, Box? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought you were still talking about Breaking Bad. I was like, I don't, no, I don't remember David, a smelter. Dave, no, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about Box. Oh, Dave Box. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, God, that's awful. Yeah, actually, that's a great way to dispose of a body. If you work at, like, a radiation plant, if you just, like, lower their body into the smelter. Because, first of all, it takes days for the radioactive waste to cool down to where you can even look through it. And then, by that point, shit's so radioactive that you can't really do anything with it anyway. So, if anyone lives by a uh, radioactive waste plant and they want to kill somebody and get away with it, well, I'm just saying, that's an idea. Should have just put them in one of those uh, giant uh, vats at the Hanford facility in Washington. <laughs> yep. Uh, so these witnesses were also apparently threatened into silence. Uh, another witness, a girlfriend of Raymond's son, also came forward in 2003. She said that Raymond had bragged to her that he and Donald had killed the hunters over a dispute about a deer. I mean, that's all it was? was about a fucking deer? <laughs> Like, really? I wonder what the dispute, like, was exactly about. Like, it was, it was apparently about a deer, but, like, what? Like, you I shot, shot the deer I shot in? a seven-pointer. That was only a four-pointer. It was a seven-pointer. Four-pointer. Seven. Oh, them fighting words there. Stupid. I mean, of all the things to, like, kill somebody over with a aluminum baseball bat, a fucking deer. Jesus. Cooter drank my Christ. deer urine. <laughs> that was my deer urine. Cooter, you son of a bitch. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> Where'd my aluminum baseball? There it is. Thwunk. That's the sound I would imagine a aluminum so baseball So he also hat. told her that he had put the bodies through a wood chipper and fed the remains to the pigs. Yeah, that's some Fargo shit right there. He threatened to do the same to her if she left his son. Damn. Like, fuck. <laughs> the girlfriend of his son? The father's just being straight up savage over here. Yeah. It's like, if you leave my son, I'm gonna do the same to you. I'm going to put you in the wood chipper and feed you to the pigs. You better stay with my son. You bitch. So Donald's girlfriend at the time said that in 1986 he also confessed to killing the hunters. Like, Jesus, fuck, these guys are just like loose lips. Like to everybody they fucking know and got away with it for years because everyone was fucking shaking in their boots and scared. He then beat her and threatened to kill her if she told anyone. She and two other witnesses said that another brother, Rex, was driving the victim's Bronco a few days after the murders. It just runs in the family. You got a fucking, you know, random brother driving the the truck of the guy they murdered. Another Duval brother claimed that he didn't kill them but helped transport the victim's bodies. 
Police suspect that another Duval brother, Kenny, had scrapped the hunter's vehicle and sold it for parts. How many fucking Duvals are there? Like, Every time Jesus. you say Duval, Mike, I, this is just specifically for a Jacksonville audience. I'm thinking Duval. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> Sorry. That's uh, apparently in down where we live, where Jaguars, right? Where where apparently, speaking of toxic waste, uh, I, I guess we grew up on a toxic waste heap or something because uh, for us in Jacksonville, screaming the county that we live in is uh, is some 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 sort of pride or some some badge of honor. They even do that in uh, the arena, I think. In Jag- oh yeah, where the, where the Jaguars play. Oh yeah, yeah. it's 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 in our commercials, like on like certain merchandise. Like there's a beer, there's a, a Miller Lite commercial that's targeted specifically at Jacksonville, and it's like hashtag D U U U U V L and shit. Like it's uh-huh. yeah, like whoever the fuck started that, like good lord, that thing caught on. But yeah, sorry. So he then told police this in a taped interview, but had courtroom amnesia while on the stand. I love, I love that's actually a, a term, courtroom amnesia. I, mean, I guess it would be like the white coat anxiety, like people who, are, who yeah. get anxiety when they see doctors. So in October 2003, both were convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Neither David nor Brian's remains have ever been found. However, as recently as 2009, police have received tips about the possible location of their remains. Based on Barber's statements, investigators also believe that at least three others, other men were involved in, in the attack on the hunters. However, no one else has been charged. Damn. Guess never fuck with the Duval brother, apparently. Especially involving deers. Yeah, really. All right, where are we at? Where are we at? David Thighs? Yep, <laughs> Thighs. I mean, his name is T-H-I-E-S, David Thighs. Uh, at around 4 p.m. on December 13th, 1982, 19-year-old David Thighs left his New York City apartment and went into the hallway to smoke a cigarette. When he did not return, his mother, Karen Digia, Digia, Thought it was strange, as it was her husband's birthday. Earlier in the day, he went out to uh, buy a gift for him. That that evening, he planned to make a salad or something for the birthday dinner. That's fucking hilarious (laughs) how they wrote that. That evening, he planned to make a salad or something for the birthday dinner. Like, uh, can you imagine if Unsolved Mysteries actually wrote a script like that and Robert Stack was just... (laughs) I mean, you might as well just say, or some shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> a salad or that some evening, shit, I don't know. That evening, he planned to make a salad or some <laughs> shit for a birthday dinner. You know, so I don't know, some kind of fancy dinner, like a salad or some shit, I don't know. Like, this is already like looking like a lazy article, but <laughs> that just really put it over the top. Anyway, uh, she also recalls that before his disappearance, David was flipping the channels of the news reports obsessively as if he felt threatened by something he saw. The Degayas put up a $25,000 reward for information on David's disappearance. After the reward was posted, more than 40 people contacted the police report to report having seen David in California. The witnesses either saw him selling quote-unquote junk on the street or hanging around with a cult group. Despite these sightings, David has never been located. I mean, the show is his picture. He looks like a guy who would join a cult. 
Uh, either that or uh, one of the members of the Lone Rangers uh, <laughs> from the movie Airheads. Or, or he kind of has some Scott Scott Stapp. Kind yes, of, he uh, definitely. Yeah, he, he's, he's definitely him. got a uh, a mid '90s post grunge uh, look to him. Like he he was definitely wanting to be in Days of the New or uh, or or Bush or some such band as that. So uh, the last uh, slider we got for you is a case of Susan Kappel. So 19-year-old Susan Kappel had recently gotten a divorce from her husband, Alan. The two had a young son, Damon, spelled with an I. She worked at a supermarket in her hometown of Newcomerstown, Ohio. What kind of fucking Newcomerstown? See, this, see, this is what happens when white people get to make up their own names for a town. You know, instead of using the cool Native American terms. Well, we're new here, and we imagine anyone else is going to be new, too. So let's cotton pick and name it Newcomerstown. Oh, well, I think that's clever. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think that's a great name for a town, Hank. That's just fine. We're going to name it Newcomerstown. So on the night of March 16th, 1982, she left work and was walking to her car when a blue car pulled up to her. She and the driver briefly spoke to each other, and then she got into the car, and the two drove off, and then she has never been seen again. She left her paychecks, money, and identification behind. In 1983, a Greyhound bus driver claimed to have picked up Susan sometime after her disappearance, taking her from Cleveland to Newcomerstown. She asked to be dropped off at a filling station, but he refused to do this and dropped her off at a bus station. However, this sighting has never been confirmed. Her family has never stopped searching for her and believe that her ex-husband, Alan Kappel, was involved in her disappearance. At the time, they were fighting over custody of their son. Some believe that the custody dispute led to her disappearance. However, no one has ever been charged in the case and Susan remains missing. Susan's family uh, believes that Alan may have killed her in order to get full custody over their son, Damon. Another possible theory, uh, theory involved two friends of Alan Patrick and Robert Parrish. Patrick worked at the same filing station that the woman filling station at, that the woman on the Greyhound bus asked to be dropped off at. Patrick owned an older model blue Plymouth Plymouth satellite familiar to the one that Susan was last seen getting into. Uh, forgive me, folks. I'm having serious hunger pangs right now, and it is uh, really affecting my speech. Her family believes that Patrick and Robert threatened Damon's life, so she agreed to disappear in order to keep her on safe i don't that's not my fault that's how that was written it says in order to keep her on safe i i don't know in the process alan would receive full custody two weeks after susan vanished robert and patrick died in car accident is it is not known what information they may have had regarding the case hmm Uh, that's a little suspicious that they died that soon after her disappearance so, uh, writer Martin Yant, who was involved in researching the Circleville writer and Paul Farrell cases, was also involved in researching Susan's case. So, I guess they thought there was potential for it to be a case on the show that was more extensive, since they hired that guy, but apparently they didn't find much, so they were like, uh, just make it a end-of-the-episode roll call, because there's, I don't really have anything. 
So it's unresolved. Uh, Alan Kappel died without ever revealing that what he might have known about his ex-wife's disappearance. In 2014, her parents had her declared legally dead. They no longer believe that she went into hiding for her son's safety. They recalled that Alan was very controlling over her. She was also very excited about visiting her son on March 17th, the day after she vanished. They believe that she was most likely killed by Alan that day. However, her remains have never been found. As far as we know, there could have been another Mothman that killed her, since there's no remains, but more than likely it was probably her ex-husband or some other random thrill kill. Most likely, I'm also running out of energy. I didn't really have all that much energy to begin with, because uh, I, I came, unlike Mike, I came into the podcast with a belly full of stum- a belly full of stomach, a belly full of food, <laughs> oh my god, and uh, I want to take a nap. Uh, I've been wa- well. I mean, you could have had a belly full of stomach if you ate a bunch of haggis. Yes, you're you're correct, Mike. You just pull you just pulled an actually on me. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of the podcast. Join our Facebook group. Go to the group section on Facebook and type in "Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries." We have an awesome group with some stuff in there that I can't tell you about. You just have to find out for yourself. Um, you can like us on. Well, you can. Kick us some money on Patreon and you'll get this podcast early most of the time. Uh, you can also uh, give us ideas on what our next episode should be. That's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. And finally, you can find us on YouTube separately. We are not together on YouTube. We are, we are very individual people on there. You can check out Mike's channel at youtube.com slash OCP communications. And Mike is a movie guy. What was the last thing you did on your channel there mike the last uh, video i posted uh, was a review with a little bit of ranting on bohemian rhapsody the uh fairly recent queen freddie mercury the uber successful biopic. queen biopic yeah that one i thought you loved that movie didn't you i didn't i didn't love it i i, I really like rocket man i think that's a much better movie uh bohemian rhapsody i thought was below average and honestly really disappointing Really? I could have sworn you had a high opinion of that one. Well, you were mistaken. Apparently. Well, Sir? go and check out, uh, <laughs> because that that's kind of a controversial stance on that movie, because everybody w- was like, I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of inaccuracies and all that, and I don't I don't really have a desire to see it. But, here, but here's the problem with the, the, that's the thing. The inaccuracies, though, are so inaccurate and off the mark at crucial plot points of that movie that like after a certain point of the film, you're you lose interest because you're like this is just bullshit. Like this never happened that way, <clears throat> and it just feels like they're just trying to take Queen and Freddie Mercury's story and just clean it up, scrub it away of any of the grit or any of that, and just squeeze everything into a cookie cutter mold that is like the typical cliched, predictable biopic about a rock band. Let's just check off every single cliche that we can come up with. And I, I just I heard that I, uh, in, in, that I heard that in the uh in the film they the you know cuz the band had a hand in producing it, they had some kind yep. of goofy thing where like the camera had to be on each member an equal amount of time at a lot of points. Yeah, when it was- I di- I didn't necessarily notice that myself. Uh what I noticed more is Brian May and Roger Taylor's uh, sanitization of the events. That's what I noticed. 
And the fact that they didn't even come into like the fray and prevent the writers from doing something like taking Freddy's AIDS diagnosis and making it so he had AIDS before Live Aid, because you get it, you know, let's connect everything together. Right. Like, they didn't do anything to, to to stop that from happening. And then you got them and, like, the writer, like, getting upset at critics, being like, you're just a bunch of snobs. Or saying shit like, well, the, the inaccuracies don't really matter because it's a movie, it's not a documentary. Like, it's a biopic. Well, that's why I didn't want to see it, because, like, I'm only... If I'm going to see something like that, I want to, I want to see a documentary. I don't really care about biopics, honestly. I think they're a little corny. Well, I think, I think some of I think some of them are, are quite good. Like, Rocket Man is one of those exceptions, because Rocket Man, from the start, is a musical fantasy. It's more of a musical in, in its approach, versus Bohemian Rhapsody, which is more of a biopic... But despite that, has so many inaccuracies and crucial plot points, and it it leaves out certain things that it just it's just incredibly disappointing. I think my favorite biopic uh, was probably Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix. That, that was that, I've heard a lot of good things about that. You haven't one. seen that one? I saw. I haven't seen that oh, one yet because wow. I'm not really big into country music, so I guess that's why. That's a fucking rare occasion, right there, folks. That I've seen a movie that Mike hasn't. Um, but, uh, I did see Dolomite is my name recently with Eddie Murphy and yeah, you, you, that you was really a lot liked of fun. That, one. that was great. It's a return to form for Eddie Murphy for sure. So yeah, if you want to go check that out on Mike's channel, go to youtube.com slash OCP communications. Uh, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, it is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. And, uh, I talk about music, music related videos, the little mini documentaries. I talk about video games. I do food taste tests from various countries. Um, and the latest thing we've done is our newest music video from my band Dancing with Ghosts. And the song is called Faded Neon. It is a <coughs> kind of a synth pop retro sounding song, but the lyrics are basically about getting old and feeling irrelevant. Um, and not really living up to what you thought you could have been. Um, a lot of people are telling me they find the lyrics very relatable, and the song it sounds straight out of the 80s with a very powerful chorus. So, uh, And the video is uh, all me and Stephanie. We, we're pretty DIY on this stuff, so uh, it came out great for, I mean... Yeah, I think you both did a really good job with it. It's one of those things that it's even more impressive knowing that you weren't really 100%. Right. I mean, we had we had a little bit more people helping us this time around, but by a little bit more people, I mean one other person. <laughs> our friend Harvey helped us out with uh, you know queuing the lights at certain points or whatever. But um, that's on there. But I got a video coming up probably. I might release it tomorrow. Um, it is about do antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications make you feel like a zombie? Uh, I kind of talk about my personal experience. With that and that expression, I could say it depends. I'll I'll just let people wait till the video comes out. And you can watch <laughs> it and decide. Because I know they did for me. Like I took a lot of uh, it was like Respiridol or whatever when I was growing up, and and it just made me so so tired. I was like passing out in classes and shit, and so I stopped taking it because like it just wasn't worth it. Like I was literally just. Had no energy, just kind of moving around. You know, definitely the zombie thing definitely applied to me. But even teachers were like, you know, 
what's going on? Like, are you okay? You know, because like you, you you have a class early in the morning, and then you're just like, you know, you're just passing yeah. out, and that's not. Well, anyway, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, until next week, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you survive to listen to our next episode. And until then, bye. See ya. Yeah, I could sit. I could sit here and talk about like working in retail for you know a whole podcast worth, but you know. <laughs> but I'll just quickly go over my past few days. I had a, uh, I ha- had kind of a, a, t- a, a, it's one of those things where you kind of book like things in your life happen, like like kind of big things in your life happen, like on top of each other, mm-hmm. and you don't want it to to be scheduled that way. It just ha- it's just how it kind of happens. That happened to me. Friday yeah. and Saturday. Friday, my band had a show in Orlando at a place called Stonewall. It was a fantastic show. It went really well. We played with another band called Sin Nine, and uh, it was it. You was know, this the uh, the uh, cyberpunk? Yes, the circuit fetish thing, and it was one of those shows where when we actually play with bands that sound like not sound like us, but they're in like this a similar musical vein as us. It, it the crowds are so much more receptive because they're already there to hear the the you know main band Sin Nine, and then we open for them and it was like well shit they're they're a kind of music that I would like too and I now I now I'm understanding more the importance of communities in the music world because mm-hmm. I think back to like the early two thousands when post hardcore and. Uh, hardcore and you know all that was uh big and all these bands in Jacksonville had that like they weren't all exactly the same but they had a similar sound that they all kind of uh you know rallied around and because of that they all shared fan bases with one another cuz they you know one band's fans would become fans of another band because you know they were just they liked that music uh-huh. And the other bands were so similar that they could easily capture those. Fa- so they were all sharing fans and it grew into this large community to where whenever, you know, one band would play with another band, you, pretty soon you'd have a whole building full of kids because it, it, it had turned into this community where everyone got together and it was like this party, you know, united around music and it was exciting and yeah, for a long time, you know, our band Dancing with Ghosts, we you know, we've just been in the in the in the desert, you know, where we're just playing whatever show whatever shows come up, we play and and none of the bands have anything in common with one another. You know, you might jump on a show where you're playing with a heavy metal band and uh, a fucking weird noise experimental band and there's no community. It's just a bunch of random bands uh-huh. and whatever people you can pull in off the street or whatever friends of yours are doing a favor for you and coming out to your random ass show. But when there's a community, it's like, it's just a lot more engaging than a normal show. So that was a really great experience Friday, but we had to drive back from Orlando to get back to Jacksonville in fucking time for me to get like four hours of sleep because the next day, the very next day yesterday, I had to do a wedding, uh, which included the ceremony and reception. 
and uh, I had to like get up kind of early. So I, I haven't, I've just been running, 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 running this whole like weekend. So I'm glad, I, I mean, even though it was enjoyable, um, I'm, I'm kind of glad it's, um, I'm glad it's over. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I know I'm just kind of chit-chatting right now, and, and that's okay. This will probably be B-roll. Um, but yeah, we really needed that win on Saturday with that show. We need, I mean, God, the amount of merchandise we sold, we probably, I think we made about $200 just off of selling our merch, which was great. But I mean, that was a nice, that was a nice fat middle finger to uh, that that local Jacksonville band that had accused us of uh, stealing their their stage look or whatever, or stealing their their gimmick or their style or whatever, because um, it was easy to get caught up in that and and be like, oh, all Jacksonville hates us. And then like once you get out of uh, Jacksonville and you go to other parts, you see that these people don't fucking matter. They're never gonna leave Jacksonville. They're losers. They're haters because we're doing a lot more than they'll ever do, and they're just trying oh, to bring. So you're, you're talking about the I was the just, band. I was, again yeah, I was that's... just saying how like that. I was glad we got that. You know that Orlando show was a win for us, and we, how uh-huh. we, we needed a win. You know because that that band had been uh, making had been bringing us down. You know, even so, you kind of know what it feels like to to have that emotional attachment to something that. You you want to see a victory in, so oh, you yeah. kind of know what that's well, like. Yeah, so that's... you're like, oh, that's a big win for for you, you know. And that's kind of how some sports you know fans oh, are. You know, nice win for the big win. Nice way to wrap <laughs> it around there, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I get in there, then you get in there. We're taking turns. Ah.